You're now tuned in to the Internal Communications Podcast. Every month, we'll be inviting the most exciting and seasoned people in the industry to discuss everything affecting internal communications today. Now introducing your host, Jonathan Davis. Hello there, Vessi. Uh, welcome to the Internal Communications Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. So um, we got in touch because I've been getting a lot of requests from um, internal communicators within my network that have been asking me, hey, so diversity and inclusion is now a very big topic within our company. Uh, we've had kind of a wake-up call given the current circumstances and our company really wants to take an active stance in doing something about this but we don't really know where to start and i said well look i i can't really help you because i'm a uh, i'm a very plain boring white male uh, so i have nothing to add on this subject but thankfully i know somebody who's really good at this uh, which is where we met you. So it would be amazing if you could introduce yourself to our audience, because uh, I think everybody's really curious to hear who they have in front of them. Absolutely. So hi, I'm Vessi, uh, founder of Vessi.com. I've been uh, working in the DNI field for a few years, uh, working with big brands in uh, North America, Europe, and um, it was it was my personal journey life journey that brought me to this a long time ago like with started with my public coming out when i was in university and i guess like championing um diversity through my own example and later on starting to work with uh, companies consulting them on like how to empower their employee resource groups or how to work with their leaders um how to foster inclusive leadership and so on um in terms of a starting point you know i'm going to challenge you on what you said you know you can't do anything like you're like the white male guy or something like that um you know it, it's very hard for uh, the underprivileged or like underrepresented to drive the work on their own and specifically because they don't have the privilege and they're <laughs> underrepresented uh, especially in like leadership positions and so on so you know um we can we can chat more about the role of allyship and what that could look like as well in terms of first steps i think we need to look at what are the values of the company uh, do we live by those values and are those values um you know like let's say do they uh, talk about integrity do they talk about respect do they talk about trust um maybe innovation or a sense of belonging so Anything that can help us give a little bit of like a, um, an entry point for when we're introducing diversity and inclusion. Um, and maybe it was present in the company, it wasn't explicitly said, but it, it is important to um, address it and make it clear uh, in, those, in those statements at first, but definitely not, not leave it there. Um, you know, there, is a, there was a really nice definition that allyship is knowledge um, it's knowledge, empathy, and action when they come together. Uh, and I think by making such like a statement or a commitment, we can, we can show maybe empathy, but we don't necessarily show knowledge and we don't necessarily translate it into action. So it's very important that, you know, we, um, of course, we don't need to like rush into an action if we don't understand uh, first, what we're dealing with, and that's why a really good point for any DNI work is to 
do like diagnostics and understand, okay, what's the level of inclusion? Do, do, do people feel like they belong? Um, you know, uh, so we look at uh, like the engagement surveys, we create like inclusion surveys. Um, we look also at the business strategy of the organization because like, that's one of the actions where we really want to go. Um, DNI is not something for the people's team or for a few enthusiasts or, or for employee resource groups. It's for everyone and it's very important because it's the right thing to do, but because it, it's um, very impactful for the business. So as quickly as possible, we need to get to the point where we connect DNI and the business and they're one thing. Yeah. Very good point. I think actually talking about that and it being the right thing for the business, um, I, I did some digging and, um, you know, for example, Harvard Business Re Review definitively found that diverse teams perform better. So that's already a very good business reason to just, and that's purely economically, that's not even morally to just invest in it. Are there other particular reasons outside of just team performance where companies can really, really benefit from it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one of them is employee engagement. So we have better retention. Uh, we have more productive teams when people were more engaged. Um, people learn faster. So productivity, engagement, and development of the talent. You know, when when we feel calm, curious, connected, clear-headed, um, confident at work. So when we feel empowered, when we feel like we belong naturally we're more productive you know our energy doesn't go into things like oh you know why do people treat me differently here like what's going on you know um and we we stay more engaged because we feel appreciated of course we want to stay there so we don't leave and we learn faster because yeah. you know we, we can be in a we can be who we are again if we have the energy and the attention span to focus on on what we want and need um so that would be one area um innovation um entering new markets understanding the needs of our customers um, if we have empathy for our employees we definitely have empathy for our customers we can read between the lines better or we can ask better questions to um, understand their needs and um, you know get better at understanding nuances um, and so then all of those things you know what we do with our employees what we do with our like, innovation productivity um, market um, competitiveness and entering new markets all of that contributes to the financial success now a lot of companies are kind of keeping it on that level and they're like, yeah, 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 we all hear it. Like, you know, we read this article or that article and it's great. And, you know, and McKinsey and EY and, you know, the, the Forbes article, everyone is telling us it's, it's, it's fantastic, but that it's really complicated. You know, if for every article where someone was um, encouraging me to do this or that, my revenue was growing 20%, um, you know, it's not it's not easy so naturally leaders are very skeptical to that and here the, the thing is that we actually need to boil it down to specific business cases um so one of the things that i do with um clients and that is very important when you do the internal communications because you need 
the internal buy-in, not just from the leaders, but from every single manager, leader, every single employee in the organization is to understand where DNI and and the business come together. Um, So one of the first things that I do with clients is we look at their business objectives together with their like people KPIs and their culture to see how how can we help them connect the dots there and we create a program that's tailored for them. On, on that journey so like um which are your which are their personas which are their most profitable employee employer segments that we need to take into account or like do we want to look at accessibility of the solutions that they have or you know whatever it is it's very unique business by business industry by industry like is it a family run business is it a tech company that you know was just born a couple of years ago and got loads of funding in which geographies they are which are their markets so it's very important that you know while there are certain things to have in mind in those first few steps and they can be somewhat universal it's like you know let's look at your values um are those values also things that the leaders portray or you know, they're for everyone else, but not for the leaders. Yeah. Sometimes we see that in, in organizations where people misinterpret the values. So let's say that's, that's our first step to look at the values. Um, how much authority the people who are leading DNI have? Do they, do they have influence in the organization? These are good things to do at the start, but um, we need to work with the specific context of the organization. Um, if we're looking for like, you know, five steps, how to do DNI or something, sure, we'll get good advice, but we can't follow advice like that um, blindly. Yeah, because it's far too specific to your unique environment of people, right? Yeah, and I think we end up with uh, some kind of generic reasoning why we're doing it. And people have heard that before. It doesn't sound authentic. It doesn't sound relatable. Uh, you know, it, there is a difference. Like if we say, you know, for your company, it's the, it's the right thing to do as people, but also as a business for those three very specific reasons. And this is how it fits in the business strategy and specific maybe, you know, product features we're working on, new markets we want to enter, uh, or, you know, like new personas, etc. You get how it affects your job as, let's say, a product manager or a designer or, you know, internal comms person. Uh, but, but we have, we can communicate it versus if we say, you know, this article says about um, the benefits of DNI on average for any company any kind of organization in the world. Like it's yeah. very hard to relate it. So if we're a good communicator, we know we need to make it relatable and to put it in context. And that's absolutely crucial for DNI to get everyone on board. Otherwise it's just, sure, it's uh, great. We also eat healthy, but you know, what percentage of us, like it's a, there is a difference between knowing it's a good thing to do and actually doing that. Um, so DNI can be, yeah, that's important, but it's not urgent. So uh, and defining where it fits into our business strategy and people's strategy um, is critical to drive the urgency. Otherwise, we're also, um, those efforts become very like dependent on external factors. Like, do we need 
protests to be happening around the world to talk about racism and anti-racism. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's great we have the opportunity and we're challenged to, to talk about this, but it's also a pity that, you know, we need to see more people dying um, or like, like uh, pepper sprayed, etc. to, uh, you know, uh, sorry, tear gas sprayed, etc. to um, have those conversations. Do we yeah. need violence to drive our agency? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think this is something that uh, certainly the people I've spoken with struggle with because they were confronted with what's happening um, ever since uh, the George Floyd murder mm -hmm. and um, the protests that have erupted around the world uh, in uh, against racism. They came to realize actually this has been too long. This has been like the sleeping elephant in the room. I need to do something about it. My organization wants to do something about it. So in that sense, obviously, there is momentum, which, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere is always necessary. Um, yet at the same time, I think a lot of people feel, okay, we know we, this change needs to happen from that top. You're right. The DNA of your organization, there must be a way in for your core values, which I think is a great way in to look at how can we be more serious about DNI. If you are going to be serious about DNI, or let's say you made already a public mm -hmm. statement that you're going to be serious about this, you have to go far further than uh, here's your listicle article of five steps on including DNI. So I think that first off, this is the first thing that I learned from you is that it's different in every organization. It's unique to your own ecosystem. You have to find your own people and business fit. So that's a beautiful tip. But now here's the thing, uh, especially if you're in a very large organization, changes never a quick process. It's becoming mm -hmm. faster because we're forced to, but it's still never quick. Is there something that's not just from the core DNA of your company and the leadership of your company, but are there other things that we can already do to actually get something going that will maybe help the rest? Mm. What, what would you recommend there? Yeah, I think it's great when organizations have employee resource groups because it, it unites people, you know, first you have a safe space to, to share uh, about your experiences, find like-minded people, but it also um, creates, you know, it has this like um, bottom-up, you know, creates some pressure on, on the leadership team. You know, you get a sense of like, it's, it's time. We cannot yeah. ignore that. You know, it's not just an individual here, an individual there having an opinion on that. It's like the employees want it. Um, so it feels like more of a critical mass and that can also drive urgency. Um, so that, you know, that, that's something that, that's um, great. I think it's, I see a lot of value in having um, DNI leads, uh, naturally um, providing them with, um, you know, enough seniority, like reporting to CFO, to CEO, um, worst case to COO. And I don't, and I'm not saying it like it's bad if they report to the COO, but if it's to like VP of people or COO, it's again seen as like it's, it's people's matter and yeah. it's not related to the business. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's very important that we see it as much as possible as equally, um, like it's equally important. We should, we should not compare, is it for the people or for the business? It, it, both. And yeah. maybe, you know, and maybe in, in some periods we change, we, we focus more on one than the other, but they should definitely go hand in hand. Because if we, 
let's say we focus exclusively on numbers for the purpose of customers or the for the purpose of hiring and you know we, we pride ourselves for having let's say that percentage of people or let's say people of color or women etc or like non-men um then we we forget it's about people and it's about empathy so yes maybe we have more knowledge but because we compromise on the empathy bit it affects our decision making and our actions there yeah. um yeah um and you said something where i was thinking about internal communications again yeah so another starting point is um understanding like for internal communications professionals you very much set the tone of how the organization speaks so yes like we know let's say you know jonathan sent a newsletter or this announcement or whatever it is but um that sets a, that informally becomes a benchmark for how we talk to each other um, if it's a very, very formal newsletter, you know, it's kind of like best regards, you know, uh, dear, dear staff, you know, Th that's one, um, you know, that's a, that's a tone that is very different from, hey folks, you know, cheers. Um, and we think about those things when we're internal communicators and, um, I think it's also important to understand there what is the language that is inclusive, that is accessible, um, and and gradually, like we don't have to necessarily go into announcing why 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 now Jonathan um, includes pronouns in their email, mm -hmm. but that could be interesting. You know, people will start noticing it, so it can be a bit more organic. Um, or, um, when you talk about, let's say, I don't know, an activity related to pride month or just, you know, whatever content related to, um, queer people, the language that you use is, you know, tells a story and you set, uh, you set the bar for the whole organization. So it tells some people, this is the language you should be using about people who are not like you and you maybe you're not daily exposed to them maybe th that's not who your friends are um and that's why it's important that they have a source of uh, knowing how to use the like the correct language um but then also for the people who've you know received that same newsletter to feel you know what that this doesn't portray me in a in a bad way or it doesn't use words that can be offensive or like outdated and so on like actually last night we were watching um disclosure it's a um, it's a movie about representation of trans people in entertainment and media but mostly entertainment and it's really cool i think if you like if you watch that it illustrates very well how much of an impact um the story that like how we pick those stories uh, shapes the whole narrative for a whole community and you know it, you know in the movie they go into showing you know and how let's say there was because it's a documentary they go into let's say this movie from you know this year like let's say it's 30 years old this is a scene that became so famous 
that then it then it was present exactly the same scenario was over and over presented whenever there was a trans person uh, in any kind of movie for the next 30 years and um, something similar happens in our organization if you use a language that is um, not appropriate it's giving up permission for other people to think this you know to do the same and it, it, I'm not saying you need to use like derogatory terms it could be other things that can be um, that, that that can still have a negative impact yeah I think that's also um... A large part of it and something that I always saw as a role of an internal communicator is to uh, give guidelines and guidance on what is the right way to communicate in our diverse and inclusive environment because I think a lot of people aren't aware that the way that they communicate can very easily be construed as and maybe even sometimes is racist and if they are aware of this if they can change this if they have a helping hand in that that, that already very much helps right mm. Yeah, like, okay, so let's say in the, you mentioned, you know, in, on, on, in the context of uh, race, if, uh, let's say with George Floyd's murder, someone, if a white person says accident, hmm. or, then I'll be like, that's, that's not an accident. Like, we saw it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if, if a person of color says... Uh, that was an incident. I would like, hmm, I think like maybe I would still go for murder, but because, you know, they personally really relate to the story. Like, I don't think they need to be corrected because it's still um, an incident. Um, but I think it's important when white people say it's a murder because it was a murder. And, you know, there is video footage, so we don't have to, you know, in other cases, we can say, oh, we, you know, we were not there. There is a judge to the side, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's a very, um, like objectively, we know exactly what happened. So, uh, yeah. you, you see what I mean? So I think sometimes um, one word can, can show us some of the can express some of the biases that we have and naturally they're implicit biases we don't do it on purpose you know most of the time to hurt other people um but that and that's why as an internal communicator it's very important and i don't think we should be paralyzed and thinking shit i don't want to make any mistakes i don't want to you know what if i make a mistake and i, I will just avoid any of those topics that's better um no, like if we show, we talk about those topics and we're trying to figure things out and we're open to feedback, that's the best. Because I don't think uh, the same way no one was born with racism, no one was born anti-racist. Like it's a, it's a journey for each one of us. We need to learn. Strong statement. I like that. Um, and also, I think to be empathetic to others, we need to have empathy for our own discomfort. So, you know, um, if I feel comfortable not knowing and making mistakes, that's, that's the only way I can actually listen to you. Like if you, if you give me a perspective that's new to me, if, if, if I uh, fight 
there's discomfort. I will not learn anything. And naturally, you know, I'll be defensive. It will be a natural reaction. And I don't, that means I also don't have much empathy for myself. Actually, speaking on that, um, you said at the start, uh, um, the, the, when, when I said, well, I feel like there's not much I can do, you mm, wanted to yeah. challenge me immediately <laughs> yeah. on that. So now, because uh, I, I only ever step into this podcast and invite guests such as yourself when mm -hmm. I feel there's something that I can really learn from them. Mm -hmm. So I'm here to learn what is it that somebody or me or somebody in my position could actually do to help further progress among DNI globally within business in this case? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely took more episodes like this. <laughs> but, uh, um, and thanks for having me. Um, well, I think having conversations and many of them, maybe even not being on the podcast as well, where you feel safe to ask any question and just knowing that no question is stupid. Um, I think just being conscious that like, if you go to, let's say a black person and you ask them to educate you on how racism is affecting them or something like that, you're again, it's like the person in, um, uh, you know, in a privileged position is putting the burden on the underprivileged person <laughs> to then educate the privileged. You see what I mean? When yep. naturally being privileged, you have like better resources, you have better access and it's uh, being also privileged. You're only privileged because it's taking away privilege from someone else. So um, we need to own that. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't know, Jonathan's grandparents own slaves. It's not like, it's not about that, but unless we have um, like an active clear position, um, then we are part of a problem. So uh, having, having conversations, but also being um, proactive and educating yourself, you know, um, so many movies, so many books on any of those topics. And yeah, you can't read, you know, 200 books on this topic in one month, but you also don't have to like, you know, make a list, start from somewhere, see where you're also more passionate, what you're more, most, more passionate about. What is a topic that you personally relate to a bit more versus others? Um, it, I think it's, it's natural for us to, understand let's say uh okay like being gay naturally i'm more interested in you know movies that have queer characters it's more relatable uh, i want to see myself uh, uh represented um but you know what it, what is that like for you and who are your maybe um the people who you love or are important in your life or like um colleagues you're close with who you would like to support better. So it's not just like, I want to be a better person or a good person. I think many people were so afraid of being called out racist because uh, they don't believe they're a bad person, they're bad people, and they don't want to be bad people. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference because we, we can be really good people most of the time, which doesn't mean we're doing anything to stop racism or to, to fight racism or to check if we have racist tendencies in certain situations. So I think those things can kind of go hand in hand. And um, 
we can like we need to reflect on it and understand okay i'm not doing it just to be a good person i'm doing this for this specific reason what's the desired outcome here you know you know the way like the best marketing is when you know why people are doing it. it's the same with internal communications you don't just yeah. go like we'll be doing this training tomorrow people want to understand why why me why now so when you want to be an ally why you and why now what are you hoping to achieve and i think that will set you on the best path for doing things that you're not just doing because you have to because like society expects them from you or your friends or at work, you're asked to do this, required to do this training. You're doing it because you for yourself have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think that that's one thing that I learned from the, the previous conversation that we also had about mm -hmm. this topic is that um, really diving deep into DNI and, and wanting to enable that further is very much a journey of self-discovery as well. Um, like exactly what you just said, I essentially need to find my own why if, if this is like a very big position that I would want to take up. Even if it's not, for me, mm. clarifying that helped. So for me, for example, uh, I really struggle with injustice. I just find that across every spectrum of anything. Mm -hmm. And that rubs me the wrong way. And I don't maybe yet know entirely why, but I know that that's something that I want to do something against. And diversity and inclusion is one part of it. Being anti-racist is another part of it. But then, um, so is, I don't know, making sure that uh, we're in a work environment where everybody can reach their full potential, for mm. example. Yeah, but, like, I, I, I think, I think that that's very interesting what you said. Like, sometimes we relate to something and not fully understand why. You know, yeah. maybe, um, I'm, I'm just going to speculate here. It doesn't mean it's, it's true. But let's say maybe you experienced um injustice um let's say being bullied in school or maybe one of your like parents or caregivers were not being fair to you so you know it, it doesn't doesn't matter what the specific case is but it it allows you to have empathy for others who are experiencing a similar pain and yeah. that's very important uh, but that also means um that requires to be comfortable to experience this pain again it, it, does that make sense so yeah. you have had that pain in the past and seeing how others are fa facing injustice now you can only be compassionate and empathetic if you allow yourself to feel that again because it like if someone really like boxes that feeling and wants to forget about it they don't have space for empathy because they don't, they don't want to remember how they felt in the past and they, don't, they certainly don't want to feel that way now. And it's actually, um, then you, you also have, it's, it's like, um, in, like in, in psychology and in psychotherapy, um, it, like the, the, let's say the mind goes through like a split off and you become, you're more likely to become the oppressor because you want to distance yourself from being the victim in such a situation. So typically we have that when um, kids have gone through really hard upbringing, let's say uh, with like um, physical abuse, not only obviously. And um, 
it's a it's a coping mechanism at the time to you know because it, it, it's unthinkable for kids to uh, perceive you know their caregiver or parent as a bad person so they must be right um because it's like the scariest thing is that your parent doesn't love you mm. you're, you're a kid like your parent needs to love you so the only explanation is that it's your fault mm. hence what's happening is the right thing to happen and when you like when kids grow up when we you know when when we're adults um we you know we have a choice uh, especially when we become parents do we act like our parents and then we stick you know to the tradition and then we're good parents by the example of our parents and maybe we treat our kids similarly you know there is let's say physical punishment or whatever um stonewalling you know or um do we actually um take on the discomfort embrace the pain and try to get out of this by going through it um and um there, there, like there are different layers there, but I think I think um, there is a strong correlation between those things. Like if we don't have empathy for our own experiences, and if we don't understand our own experiences from the past, it's very hard to have um, compassion for other people's experiences. Yeah, yeah, that makes absolute sense. And actually, so we've we've just I'm going to refer back to the uh, to the free step that you just said before, where you have uh, knowledge, empathy, and action. So we've, we've discussed the knowledge section where it's not just about the privileged asking the underprivileged, hey, educate mm -hmm. me. No, you're in a privileged position. Use it to do something, right? So educate yourself. Then the empathy side means don't just have empathy for what's happening now and to whom, but also for yourself. Understand your position in it, which I think is a very overlooked aspect, actually. And then lastly, uh, on top of the action side. So there's one um, aspect within that action side that I really want to ask you, which uh, came from uh, somebody who uh, I've connected with on LinkedIn named Tyrone. Uh, mm -hmm. And Tyrone posted a uh, article about his own struggle against bias. And I asked Tyrone, hey, Tyrone, um, I'm going to get this awesome podcast guest. It's Vessi. She's essentially a consultant on uh, DNI and much more than that, but just, you know, very... Mm -hmm. uh, it was a quick conversation. Um, and I said, uh, uh, you know, I have a couple of questions that I know I want to ask her, but I read your post and I'm sure you would want to ask her something. Mm -hmm. So um, I asked him and he said, well, look, one of the things that I see a lot in companies from the, especially on the internal comm side of things, is um, they say we want to invest in DNI. We, we are going to become a more inclusive environment. We want more diversity. And then the first thing that they think of uh, is usually let's change the way that we recruit which mm -hmm. obviously that's not yeah. a bad thing to think of. That's probably part of the problem, but Allah. Then he says, then you hire more diverse people, but then you see that the retention rates among people yeah. uh, from a diverse background are much lower. And some companies, they, for example, uh, create affinity groups so that people feel more a part of something. What he wanted to know from you is what kind of methods would you recommend to companies to actually retain that diverse talent that they hired? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, when we spoke about like um, measuring the level of inclusion, um, as part of that, it's very powerful. So most organizations do, do it through surveys. Um, that's great. It gives you, it gives you like 
a score where you are today, right? And you can see, you know, maybe though, you know, this group, this employee segment has that kind of this level of experience compared to others, but it doesn't tell you why and where they experience it and when and so on. So um, something that we do is um, I do interviews with um, members of different employee segments and it is really to get the context. You know, the way, like if we are doing product research, we just don't send a survey and mm -hmm. we're like, okay, now we have the answers. Now we need to understand what are the root causes of having those results. What was the context? What, what uh, forces took place? What were the contributing factors to this? Um, was it, um, let's say, how their performance review went? Um, is it the format of the performance review? Is it maybe their, their manager? Is it um, the feedback from the peers where let's say they felt um, it wasn't a fair performance review, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it part of their um, hiring or onboarding experience where maybe they had some disappointments or they had specific uh, incidents that, um, you know, um, that they struggled with um, or maybe they heard stories and they felt um, unsafe to bring up certain topics. So although they were not the ones experiencing it, it, you know, it, it created some fears for them. So we need to understand those to, you know, ideally come up with a list. So if the, you know, the, the surveys are telling us to what extent an issue is prevalent, mm -hmm. um, we need to understand why it's happening to who it's happening, what that looked like. Um, so those interviews are anonymous, absolutely confidential. So when I present the data then to, to the leadership team, they don't see, you know, Jonathan experienced this and this. Yeah. They see, you know, a person, you know, let's say two of the three people that, or two of the five people I spoke to from this employee segment um, have faced this challenge. Like we're seeing patterns now. So we need to, let's say, redesign the performance review process or could be, you know, um, anything. It could be about, let's say, there are no um, accessible toilets on the third floor, only on the first floor. You know, in some countries, the legal requirement is to have one toilet that's accessible uh, for someone in, in a wheelchair on only one of the floors, which is, right. which is ridiculous. Like, you know, what if you yeah. have a meeting on the 10th floor, then on the third and the only toilet is on the first floor, you know, yeah. how, how much time do you spend in the elevator? And it, and it feels humiliating as well. So it could be things like that. So it doesn't mean there are no facilities for you, but it doesn't mean they actually work for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, so I think what you're saying is it's actually just not about, okay, you can start an affinity group and I'm sure there are other kind of standardized best mm -hmm. practice examples of this, but it's not about that. It's about finding out where you are right now and what your people want for that to become better and then doing something about it. And I, I would say focusing on the problems first, then rushing into coming up with solutions again, uh, you know, in in uh, in like marketing terms or product terms, you don't you know we don't build a feature because we're excited about all of those features. We build a f feature like we we brainstorm about the feature once we know uh, the specific pains. Similar with like communications, 
um, internal communications or like marketing of whatever we're doing, we need to understand the pain of our audience yeah. to tell them how we're solving it. Otherwise we're guessing what we're solving and we're guessing how it should be solved. So like, let's say an affinity group and player resource group, etc. It's great. It has certain purposes. Um, I think that safe space is needed for people, but that doesn't mean like you can't rely on um, employees in their free time through volunteering to not only come forward and tell you what's wrong, but also tell you how to fix it. Yeah. And, it, and, and again, like uh, where we started in the episode, like we, you cannot put that burden on them. So it sends a very strong message when the leaders um, say, you know what, like, we think things are fine or maybe we know of certain things that are not fine, but we actually want to understand objectively what's happening because we're the people, you know, in a privileged position. We don't know, you know, it's like if you ask straight people, if gay people were experiencing homophobia and straight people tell you, yeah, it's fine. No, no gay people experiences homophobia here. How do you know that? So it sends a very strong message where, you know, in, in this parallel, you know, if like the straight leadership or just the leadership um, hires someone to do that kind of work and uh, tell you objectively what's, what's happening, who's experiencing and what. And, and then we can talk about how we can solve it and how it makes sense for the company to do it um, in ways that are um, adequate and efficient for the, the industry, the size, the you know, the, the markets it's in, the geographical location. Because like the way, let's say we would approach it in Amsterdam would be different from Berlin or from like Sofia in Bulgaria or Boston or London. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. I think that my, my overwhelming conclusion is that whatever you decide to do to improve DNI within your company, DNI is a personal experience. It's a very personal per company, per individual, per group. Mm -hmm. um, and you cannot really take the one size fits all approach, um, which is a very good thing to realize for companies that really got that wake up call now and are looking to change something. Um, because it's time that they start realizing that we need to tailor our DNI approach to our unique environment, which I guess also counts with internal comps. Vessi, <laughs> awesome. Vessi, um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, this was a really eye-opening conversation to me. And thank you for taking the time to teach me these things and also our lovely audience, of course. My um, pleasure. Thanks awesome. for having me, Jonathan. My pleasure. Um, well, hey, look, I would love to have you back on the podcast in some time. Hopefully by then we can talk about how things have improved and how things have changed for the better. Right. Uh, something lovely to see. Uh, and until then, yeah, thank you again for your time. Bye. Thank you.